At the end of chapter 3, as we saw last week, uh, Peter wrote some things that required a little, a little more effort to comprehend and understand so that we could appreciate the full meaning of what he wrote. Uh, I'm grateful that uh, Pastor Mark, with the help of the Holy Spirit, walked us through that text. Uh, unfortunately, as we'll see in chapter 4, Peter wasn't done. He wasn't done making it a little more difficult or challenging for us to understand what he was saying. Um, but fortunately for us, uh, this text isn't as critical. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Uh, the text isn't as, uh, as uh, cryptic, not critical, but cryptic. And the Holy Spirit is just as willing to help us understand this particular text and so that we can continue to grow in our understanding of God's Word. So my prayer is that I don't stand in the way of that, of that ability to understand sufficiently. So I ask that you bear with me as I try to balance when, when to linger more and when to linger less uh, so that you're not overloaded nor uh, left still needing more to understand. So I'll read the text and then, then pray for the preaching and understanding of God's Word. So the text should be up on the screen behind me. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Re with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that, through, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word, the truth of your word, Lord, and we ask Although sometimes it can be difficult to, to understand or comprehend the texts that were written, we ask, Lord, that you would help us through the Holy Spirit this morning to, to understand your word, to, to get the meaning of the text that you would want for us to, to get. And Lord, let that meaning sink into our hearts, Father. Uh, cause change where necessary, Father God. Cause enlightenment to understand your truths, Father. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My message this morning, if you're taking notes, is willing to suffer for righteousness. Willing to suffer for righteousness. If you're not taking notes, then the title is the same. Peter is continuing to talk to us about suffering. Uh, although he's speaking about a very specific type 
of suffering here in verses 1 through 6. When you hear the word suffer or suffering, uh, immediately you go to various kinds of suffering. Uh, you might think of, of suffering in sickness or illness. You think of someone who is in pain and, and you think about you know, what they're having to go through. Or if you're the one that is suffering, you oftentimes think about what you're having to go through. There are other types of suffering as well. Suffering financially. Um, suffering with mental problems or emotional problems. Uh, perhaps you've lost a loved one and, and you're suffering the grief of that loss. There are all types of suffering. And the word suffering or to suffer brings these to mind. But it's not what Peter was talking about here. Earlier in the letter, Peter talks about unjust suffering, having to deal with ridicule and mocking and persecution, abuse because of your Christian beliefs. Certainly, Peter's readers back then were having to deal with that, with various types of persecution, and, and we deal with that even today. He talked about how to put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, to have unity of mind with other Christians, to have sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind, to not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but instead to bless. But that's not the type of suffering that Peter is talking about here either. The suffering Peter is talking about is having to put away sinful desires, human passions. He says things like, Live for the rest of your life, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This is a form of suffering because it does not come easy. It doesn't come easy to put away human passions. Because of indwelling sin, it's not easy to cease from sinning. It takes work. And there is suffering involved. Peter is encouraging us to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ, who also suffered in the flesh, yet he suffered without having sinned. So as we walk through the text this morning, I hope to show you why we can be willing to suffer for righteousness and why we will be successful in suffering. So let's begin. Point number one is arm yourself to live for the will of God. Arm yourself to live for the will of God. The thing to note about the first part of verse 1 in chapter 4 is that Christ suffered in the flesh. Christ suffered in the flesh. It reminds us that, that Jesus knew suffering. He is a sympathetic sufferer. Because he himself suffered. He suffered injustice. He suffered mocking, ridicule, scorn, and abuse. He suffered flogging. He suffered physical pain. So he knew suffering. 
The only difference is that he didn't deserve to suffer. He was sinless. He did nothing that deserved the injustice that he suffered. But he was willing. See, he was willing to suffer for our sake. The term in the flesh means while he was alive in the physical realm versus in the spiritual realm. Another thing to note about this is that uh, he does not continue to suffer in the spiritual realm. Christ suffered in the flesh. He suffered in the flesh. He gave up his life. He gave up his flesh. And then he said, it is finished. No more suffering. Now he's victorious. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, resurrected and the victor over death. Reigning on high. That's the reason we hear uh, there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I love that verse. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Arm yourself. This is, this is a, a military term, as in arm yourself for battle. And in fact, we are going into battle when we fight our flesh from deserve, uh, desiring to sin versus suffering for righteousness. So to use the words, arm yourself, is, is very appropriate here. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. This means to think as Christ did about obedience and suffering. We, see, we, we, see, we think the same way as Christ did about obedience and suffering. Our example from Christ was his willingness to suffer. This is how we imitate Christ. In the garden, he said, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's Matthew 26, verse 39. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So he was willing to suffer. To be obedient, he was willing to suffer. He also said in Luke, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's Luke 9, 23 and 24. Follow him. Follow him where? Not where, but how. Not where, but how. Uh, to do the will of God, willing to suffer to be obedient to God. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Chapter 3, verse 17, last week we heard, For it is better to suffer for doing right 
If that should be God's will, then for doing wrong. Whoever suffers for doing right and still obeys God, despite the consequences, despite the, the ridicule and the unjust suffering, the mocking, the persecution that we receive, those people have chosen to remove themselves or separate themselves from sin. It doesn't mean that they won't ever sin again, but rather that choosing the hard road and obeying God is more important to them than taking the easy road and returning to sinful ways. Obedience becomes more important to us than avoiding pain and suffering because our desire is for God. Our desire is to please God. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for, for the will of God. In other words, to cease from sinning. To cease from sinning. To live in a manner that removes you from or separates you from sin. That is, no longer living for human passions, but for the will of God. And for, for some of us, that's easier said than done. Because we like our human passions. But our human passions is the very thing, the very thing that offends and is against a holy God. It's our desire to be independent from God. It's our desire to be like God. The very reason that Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We want to be like God. But Peter tells us to give no more time to sinful ways. Point number two, give no more time to sinful ways. Peter tells his readers that the time spent in the past, living like the ungodly, living in sin is, is time enough. It is sufficient. No more living like that is needed. If you've ever had the notion, what would it be like to indulge in one more unrestrained time of sin? One more time of doing what the Gentiles like to do. Peter's answer is clear. He says, the time that is past suffices. The time that is past is sufficient. Live for the rest of the time in the flesh. In other words, for the rest of your life, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. No more living in sensuality. No more living in passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and, and lawless idolatry. In other words like the ungodly, but rather live for Christ. Live for the will of God. The time you spent in sinful lifestyle is time enough. Don't return to it. Don't return to it. The flesh wants to. The flesh wants to go back to that old way, that old self. We desire it. But Peter is saying, 
Suffer from it. Avoid it. Don't go back. You've had enough of that. Don't be surprised when, when people used to do this with turn on you either. They will malign you. Peter says there is judgment for those who abuse you. He says you may notice that these people that you used to hang around with will be surprised when you don't rejoin them and they'll malign you. And, you know, at first they, they'll say stuff like, they'll say stuff like uh, hey, what, what's going on? What's, what's happened with you? You're no fun anymore. You're different. You never join us anymore in what we like to do. Then they'll start to mock you for your beliefs and because you don't join in on their fun. They'll start to get nasty and mean because what you're actually doing is being a testament against their sinful ways. But it's not just surprise that you'll witness or experience. It's not just surprise. When, when, when Christians don't join in on the sinful ways of unbelievers, they get hostile. Unbelievers get hostile. Being a silent non-participant in sin often implies condemnation of that sin. And, and rather than change their own ways, they'll malign, slander, mock those who make them look bad. Or to justify their own immorality, they'll spread rumors. They'll spread rumors that the righteous Christians are immoral as well. That's why whenever, whenever you see a Christian stumble, the non-Christian will point and say, you see, you see, they're not so perfect. They're hypocrites, those Christians. But unbelievers cannot escape judgment. Verse 5 tells us, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They will give account to him who is ready. Ready implies he has already prepared himself to judge and can do it at any moment. But it, also, it also implies that it could come suddenly and without warning. Not only the living that will be judged, but also the dead. A statement that implies no one, no one will escape judgment. Even those already dead will face judgment. And there's no second chance for redemption. There's no second chance for redemption. Remember Mark preached last week regarding chapter 3, verses 18 to 22, that the gospel was not preached to the, to the dead so that they can receive salvation because there is no second chance after death. Remember, there's a chasm between here and there, as Abraham said. Even believers will give account. My last point for this morning the gospel was preached so that those who would surely die might live. The gospel was preached so that those 
who would surely die might live. Peter turns his attention to believers who have now died. But why? Why reference dead Christians here? They died maybe through persecution, but they were believers in Jesus Christ. Now they have died. So he references those. He says, and, and I believe he was giving assurances to those who were suffering, to those who were willing to give themselves to righteous suffering, that something much better than their suffering awaits them. I believe he was also speaking to those who were unsure about this plea to be a willing sufferer. It's difficult to convince someone that they have to arm themselves with the same thinking as Christ and suffer in the flesh as Christ suffered without some assurance that, one, the suffering will end, and two, the reward, the inheritance is great. Suffering is an indication that you've ceased from sin and that you're willing to live the rest of your life for God and no longer for human passions. You're acknowledging that your sinful ways of the past is sufficient and that you don't need to live that way any longer. For the time that passed suffices for doing what unbelievers in this case, the, the Gentiles want to do. But I think more importantly, Peter was telling us that believers will also give account. You see, why else, why else say that the gospel was preached even to the dead if not to give us warning that even believers in Jesus Christ will give account? Because judgment is coming. And it is for this reason that the gospel was preached, even to those who believed in Christ and then later died. You see, judgment is coming for both believers and non-believers. Judgment is coming for both the living and the dead. The gospel was never intended to save people from physical death. All people, everybody, all Christians, all non-Christians still have to die physically. This is what's meant when Peter says judged in the flesh the way people are. The consequence of Adam's sin, death, still affects all men. But the effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it was preached so that they might live in the spirit like God does. There is a judge. There is a judge who is ready to judge the living and the dead. It was respect to this final judgment that the gospel was preached so that we could be saved. Those who believe and confess Jesus Christ as their Savior so that they could be saved from final condemnation. Now, some would interpret the gospel was preached even to those who are dead to mean that the gospel was preached to the unbelievers after they died. But here's why that doesn't work. 
And this is from verses 5 and 6. Well, first of all, Mark said last week that that doesn't work. So we'll take that. But then I'm going to add to that from Peter in verses 5 and 6 why that doesn't work. Why would Peter, why would Peter give a warning that unbelievers, those that continue in unrepented sin, would give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, and then follow that up with the preaching being with the gospel being preached to the unbelieving dead so that they could have a second chance to believe. It's like saying, it doesn't matter what you do in this life. It doesn't matter what you do in this life. You'll have a second chance to believe after you die. Peter was writing to persecuted Christians and he was telling them to arm themselves with the same way of thinking as Christ who suffered in the, in the flesh. Why would he tell them or encourage them to take the hard way of obedience and suffering if the easy road of debauchery could all be renounced and forgiven after they die? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Because that's not how it works. You don't get a second chance to renounce your sinful living after you die, and death can come quickly. It can come suddenly and unexpected. We all give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The gospel is preached so that those who would surely die in the flesh that includes all of us, might be saved to live eternally with the Father in heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he died for your sins. But that means that the remainder of our life on earth, we live no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We have to be willing to suffer for righteousness, willing to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ and suffer in the flesh as a testimony to our commitment to cease from sin. No more living like we did in the past, doing what unbelievers want to do, living in sensuality, and passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry, but rather living with a commitment and a willingness to live for God in Christ. Now let me end with this. An explanation of, of why, if we're willing to suffer for righteousness, we will be successful in our suffering. Why, if we're willing to suffer for righteousness, we will be successful in our suffering. And it starts with a quote from last week's sermon, quoting Pastor Mark. The quote is, Your faithful suffering is the pathway to vindication and glory. Your faithful suffering is the pathway to vindication and glory. Because Christ suffered, and was victorious in his suffering by his resurrection and victory over death, we too will be victorious and have life everlasting if we confess him as our Lord and Savior. This is the good news. 
You see, Jesus' victory and the salvation he provided by being the propitiation, an appropriate sacrifice to bring us to God, is what gives us assurance that total reconciliation between us and God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is secured. Faithful suffering and suffering for righteousness are indicators that according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for us in heaven. Our assurance that salvation is secured. Being willing to suffer for righteousness does not save us. But it is a testimony that we are saved. Saved through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the assurance that we have as believers in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, Lord, that our salvation is secured not by anything that we do or have done or will do, but only because of your son, Father. So we thank you, Lord. We give you thanks and glory and honor for sending your son who would suffer, who would take on that sacrifice so that we can be reconciled to you. So Lord, as as, as we walk now on this earth until, until we come to you, Father, let us walk in a manner that is worthy, Lord. Let us, let us be willing to suffer for righteousness, Father, that it would be a testimony to others about your son's good works, about your son's salvation. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.